welcome back to the powder room inside the Plaza Hotel. This is Yvette Rockefeller. And Juliette Vanderbilt. And thank you for joining us today. We have so much to discuss because we are discussing the film Blonde, a 2022 release by Netflix starring Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. This film is a gift to society, <laughs> not so much. You know, it gives us three hours, three hours of content. It's like the sinking of the Titanic. <laughs> and sometimes it felt like Leatherface was chasing us. <laughs> so we're talking about Marilyn Monroe, and there's so much we can get into about the historical Marilyn Monroe. But that's not what this film is about. So I say we skip it, and we just get into it because... I think it's not telling any part of her story that's different than what we already know. Correct. This isn't a biopic, right? I mean, just in my opinion, everyone already knows this part of Marilyn Monroe's life. It's been well documented. I just think what this film tries to do is show us perhaps the darker, maybe more real side of what she was going through. But at the same time, I don't really think it was necessary. This film is based on a novel, Blonde, written by Joyce Carol Oates. It's one of the two books that Joyce is very proud of and wants to be remembered by. I can't remember what the other one is, but Joyce wants to be remembered for Blonde. Have you read Blonde? No, I have not. And I've read a lot of books on Marilyn, but not this one. Okay. I... We've both had Marilyn faces. Yes. And I remember reading Blonde, but i got to be honest with you, I am just a Yankee doodle. (laughs) (laughs) And with Joyce Carol Oates, you know, every sentence is... uh, A tour. uh, Yeah, there's a lot of... Look, it's good. No no one's going to say she's not a good writer, but it's just like, it's a lot to handle. In Joyce Carol Oates' novel Blonde, none of the characters are also named. They're given these kind of character names, such as JFK is called the president. Joe DiMaggio is referred to as the retired athlete. Right. And I think Arthur Miller is referred to as the playwright. Yes. So it's just, it's very pretentious. So from what I've read, though, Joyce is very proud of this film. She does think that it's very close to the novel and the director would send her revisions and clips, and she was very happy with the outcome. Andrew Dominic is the director and screenwriter for this film. He adapted, of course, from Joyce Carol Oates' Blonde. That shows. Oh, it's absolutely clear. It shows that this is through the filter of the man's gaze. Yes. Why do you feel like this film isn't necessary? The reason I feel this is not necessary is that we already know so much about Marilyn's life, right? Mm -hmm. There's already been books. There's already been films. Look at My Week with Marilyn with Michelle Williams, Eddie Redmayne, and we have enough content out there. We do not need to be rehashing this woman's life 60, 70 years on after her death. It just feels like exploitation in a way that feels gross to me, especially the way that this film was done, because it was not done in a realistic way. We'll get into it more. I think something that would have been better suited would be a story of Marilyn before she became Marilyn, Mm. because that's how the film 
kicks off. It really is. We, you know what I love? Those big flash bulbs that mm. they take the flash and then they explode. We get that. And Anna de Armas is a beautiful, stunning woman. And for the sake of this film, I say, do we want to just call her Marilyn? Yeah. Yeah. We'll Usually call her Marilyn. sometimes we have different things, but this is called, this is called Blonde. It's about Marilyn and Anna de Armas. You know, we can go back and forth. We know who we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I think it'll be easier. Yeah, I think so too. We don't have to police ourselves about that. I don't think it, this is. First of all, Anna should be proud of her performance in this too. Yes. Yeah. None of this is Anna Armas's fault. She did a beautiful, stunning job. There were times where I could feel her accent was coming through, her true accent, but at the same time, that's not her fault. The director could give her another take. The editors could not use that clip. She's got a voice coach. She's got support. I think she did a fantastic job. If the one little thing is sometimes I feel like I hear a different, that's, you know, nothing. But again, as you said, it's not on her. It's not on her. She got an 18 standing minute ovation at Cannes. Yes, that's correct. I think she deserved it. I think she put a lot out there for Mm -hmm. this. And, uh, Another fun thing that we haven't mentioned yet, another fun thing is this film just recently got the best picture at the Razzies. They claimed that it was the worst movie made this year. And I think that's unfair. I do too. First of all, I think the films that we have reviewed so far, I would say a majority of them have been from the 2022 year. Mm -hmm. And I would not put Blonde as the worst. Not at all. Okay. So opening shot, the cameras are flashing. Marilyn's in her classic white dress. The cameras, the old cameras and the lights and the the old just setup, it's showcased. It's just beautiful. In LA, it's 1933 and a young Marilyn Monroe and this little girl, Lily Fisher, who plays young Marilyn, or excuse me, young Norma Jean, is going to go on to have a lovely career. I thought she did a fantastic job and I thought this must have been very emotionally tough for a young child to do. I was impressed. Incredibly impressed. So this young Norma Jean is living every child's worst nightmare. Her mother... Gladys, and this is played by an excellent Julianne Nicholson, who earned her paycheck with Yeah, she did. I'm also surprised because now we're reviewing this after the Oscars and everything. Mm -hmm. I am truly shocked she wasn't nominated for something. Again, I think we're... Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I'll let you go. I agree. I agree. We're in Gladys' apartment. We do a lot of fading to black, a lot of transitions, but everything is filmed so gorgeously. And old Los Angeles is so fun. So young Norma Jean is dealing with a hell that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. She's growing up with a mother that, amongst other things, is probably dealing with, I'm just going to assume, bipolar, postpartum depression. I'm sure Gladys has her own PTSD of her own childhood and life. And on top of that, she has a drinking problem. LA is on fire and Gladys is carrying her young daughter, Norma Jean, through the house. We see Ash coming in. She goes outside and up in the hill, this is so fun, we see the old Hollywood sign and the fire is climbing up the hill. It's a gorgeous shot. Already? I'm kind of like, what's going on? Because <laughs> like, it's so good already. It. Is this film going to be receiving so much hate because there's <gasps> nudity or right. there's there's topics that most people feel uncomfortable with? Yeah, they it's, think it's taboo, right? Yeah, <laughs> Middle America doesn't like 
to hear about divorce or something. So I, I don't know, like, why is because already so good, right? Mom and Norma Jean are in the car and they're driving, and while they're driving up a hill, you can see just car after car going the opposite direction. Yeah, something is off. Mom is driving towards the fire. They stop. A police officer is stops them because there's you know a roadblock, and the police officer is like, "You've got to turn around." And Gladys says to the police officer, very manic. I mean, Julianne Nicholson just killing this. She nailed it. <laughs> and she's going, "We we we're going to my husband's house. He lives up in the hill in a fireproof mansion." And I'm like, "That's not a thing." <laughs> <laughs> The police officers, you can't go on, but he kind of, you can, he knows this, we're not dealing with a full deck of cards here. For a woman that is having a mental break, she does a three-point turn in this car that was impressive, to say the least. And she turns around, she's like, fine, we'll go back. They go back to the apartment. Gladys is so upset and emotional and probably picking up on just the whole vibe of the city being on fire that she starts the bath. She tells young Norma Jean to get into the bath. And of course, we do see this oh, terrible scene where she's pushing her daughter under the water. At this, I, again, I can't keep saying it, but I'm like, what? Why is this? Why? How did this win the Razzie? Why is this film getting bashed? <laughs> and man? you see just... from under the water, uh, Norma Jean fights for her life, gets out, and runs down the hall and knocks on the door. Miss Flynn is played by Sarah Paxton. As intense as this was, when Sarah Paxton opened the door, I was like, damn, this girl's skin, her skin game is on point. Has she ever had a zit? <laughs> She's a beautiful woman and she takes Norma Jean in. The one thing we didn't mention was there's a lot of talk about her absent father. Yes. That's going to come into play. Huge daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Flynn, Sarah Paxton, her and her husband are on a car ride with young Norma Jean, and they're pulling up to an orphanage. Yes. This is what got me at this moment, because young Norma Jean gets out of the car, and she sees that she's being brought to an orphanage, and she starts yelling out, but I'm not an orphan. I, like, I have a mom. And this broke me because there is an interview that Marilyn Monroe did. I want to say a year, maybe two at most years before she died. Yeah. And she said these exact words. She recalled this exact moment of her life. She was like, yeah, I remember being brought to the orphanage and just yelling at them that I am not an orphan. And so to know that Marilyn's words were then used in the film Mm -hmm. in this moment, it just made it all seem so real and grounded. And again, I kept thinking, I want to see more of this young Norma Jean grow up, Mm -hmm. right? We already know the Marilyn Monroe era. We cut to now Anna de Armas taking over. She is a young Norma Jean. She's got some success modeling. I would have loved to see the journey to this moment. I mean, we just skip over her first marriage, her time working at the factory. You know, I, I completely agree with you. That's not what we get. And no, so it's we not. have to work with what we, we get. <laughs> So we get to see her taking acting lessons. Tell me, what do you know about the Strasbourg acting method? Honestly, I don't know that much. I, I know that there's a few different acting techniques, the Meisner, the 
yes. Strasbourg, the method, right. whatever it is. I think you know probably way more in detail of what it actually entails. Yeah, I, I took some acting classes that daddy paid for. Um <laughs> <laughs> And by daddy, I mean my father, <laughs> not some sugar daddy. <laughs> like, First I, of all, I wish. <laughs> um, so Strasbourg is very similar to the method, but the idea, it's extremely toxic. The idea being that you live the character's life and you try to take some things in. And some of it sounds like a good idea. The idea being that whatever struggle your characters had or are going through, you need to take that on as your own burden and try to live that in your personal life. And that's... I feel like this is incredibly dangerous. Especially to someone like Norma Jean, who... Okay, tell us that famous story with Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier. So essentially, Dustin Hoffman was on set and there was a scene where his character had to be tired. And so he decided that he was just not going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and that's the idea. The yeah. method idea that, you know, yeah. You're going to assume the life, quite literally, of your character, right? right? Live that reality. Mm-hmm. And so he arrives on set, and he's obviously exhausted. And he's like, God, I'm so tired, because i got to be tired for this scene. And Lawrence Olivier just looks at him and goes, you know, you could try acting. <laughs> <laughs> so authentic, authentically yes. tired. Exactly. Um, and I just thought that was hysterical because Marilyn is being trained to find moments in her own life and to live out these things. And if she can't find moments in her own life to try and live the character in her own personal life. And I believe that can be very dangerous. Oof. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that would take a toll. I mean, your mind and body, they can't really tell the difference. Absolutely. And it can be very damaging to somebody who is already very frail. So she is now Marilyn Monroe. She's going by Marilyn Monroe at this point. At this point, yes. She's got a meeting with the producer, Mr. Z. She goes into his office. She does a reading for him. But of course, that's not why he's brought her in here. He violates her. There is a rape. But she did get the part. So it's a toxicity on display. Play by the rules and you get the job. This is Hollywood's famous casting couch, folks. So we're kind of getting the little snippets of the work that she's done and the backstage work that she's done is that she is a toy for men. Yes. Okay. Not fun. Not great. No, but that's where she sees validation. Yeah. What did you think about Anna's performance in these scenes? I thought they were really really good. And I say that because I think here we get a really good view of Anna's acting chops Mm -hmm. as Marilyn. She really, she has a huge range of emotions. And I don't know if you feel this way too, but when I am witnessing a performance that is really good Mm -hmm. and it's, they're going places, this actor is transforming. Right. I can feel a little uncomfortable because it's almost as if I'm witnessing something I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. It feels too personal, like I'm witnessing a piece of this person's soul, right? I don't know. Maybe that's too grand death to say, but that's how I feel. It does make it so that when this film falls off a cliff, it's all the more painful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because it, we were so close. <laughs> it was. We were at such a high here, folks. Such so, a high. We are at a screen test here for the film Don't Bother to Knock. 
Love this film, by the way. Oh, okay. Love this film. Tell us about it. It's basically about this woman who Marilyn plays, and she is tasked with watching this young child, a babysitter, essentially. And over the course of the film, believes that she is being haunted and kind of goes crazy with this belief and attempts to hurt the child out of fear. Mm -hmm. It very much mirrors Marilyn's own childhood. Right. She tells the men on the other side of the camera that she connects to this character of Nell and how strange it is that Nell wants to kill this little girl. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. And she says, and yet you feel sympathy for Nell. Already, we know that Marilyn has the past to do the Strasbourg method, acting with this role. And it's exactly what's happened to her. And she's using her training and good God, she nails this screen test so well that I'm going to even say that I think Anna de Armas's acting is better than oh, Marilyn's. I, first of all, I 100% agree with that. 100%. The men on the other side of the camera are just flabbergasted at how good she is. There's this moment of silence when she's done reading it where they're all just shocked. I very much got the sense that they thought she was so beautiful that there's no way she could. I think they were kind of Right? Did you get that? Like, she's, they we're going to have this hot girl come in and read for this, and then, you know. Right. I think it all goes to show of, you know, the dumb blonde can't act. Yes. But there's, there's a moment when she's done when they're just blown away. So after the screen test, we do go back to visit the mom who's living in a... Mental institution. It's just horrible. We're back on the set and we are filming the attempted suicide scene that's in Don't Bother to Knock. And this is where we are introduced to the character that is the pill bottles. She has a pill addiction. It's starting around here. There is a very, I think it's safe to say that the acting method that she's doing is not helping her mental health. I was going to say it's doing more harm than good. Very true. We cut, we get text on screen, which is strange because we all know about my love-hate relationship with text on screen, but we don't get it a lot. It is the LA Actors Circle Theater, and it's 1952. Marilyn walks in, and the first thing she's greeted with is a calendar. And on the calendar are the photos that Hugh Hefner purchased from her that he used on his first magazine for Playboy. She never got any money for it. And yet we kind of get this idea that she's already becoming a big sex symbol. Her naked photos are out there. So she sees those. How awkward must it be? You're going into class. You're trying to get out of this blonde bombshell uh, and you're greeted by... You want to be taken seriously. She goes inside and Javier Samuel is playing Cass Chaplin. And Cass Chaplin, of course, is the son of Charlie Chaplin, the most famous actor, a black and white silent film star of all time. Charlie Chaplin, Cass's father, had a little issue, some might say, with he liked underage girls and married underage girls. (laughs) This This isn't about him, but this is about Cass, but just setting the stage. And she walks in, and there's, like, another guy there, but he's kind of off in the distance. We don't see him. And then we cut to a bedroom scene. At first, with how it was edited, I thought Cass had a twin. First of all, they look so similar, they these are two actors. So similar. <laughs> but actually, what we're getting is a threesome scene. So the second actor is Evan Williams, and he is playing 
Eddie Robinson Jr. Now, Eddie Robinson Jr. is the son of Eddie Robinson, who was a Romanian-American actor, and he had many roles, but one of his biggest roles was opposite Charlton Heston in The Ten Commandments. So these, these two guys are sons of some famous men. There's a pill bottle being thrown around. They're taking their pills. And I got the feeling that these two guys were a package deal. Yes. They They were like already together. They are together. Yes. None of my business consent. As long as everyone's of age, it's none of my business. But we are going to get into maybe how this relationship type can be toxic. So we go to see, we're going to the theater She's sitting right in the middle of this crowded theater. And you know what I love? You see somebody smoking. We pull back and you see this this guy just take a puff inside this crowded theater where pregnant women might be. (laughs) But they are sitting right in the middle and they are three very famous people. And they're just really getting Getting it on. Yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah. The idea being that they are in a thruple. And one of the big things that we keep going back to is how Eddie and Cass kind of complain about how they are in the shadows of their fathers. Mm-hmm. And what Cass says to Marilyn, you know, you never knew your father, so you're free of the chains and shackles that having a famous father can put on you. Now, (laughs) under the stars, they're at the beach and under the stars, the three vow to always love each other. We shoot up into the sky and the stars start dancing. The stars turn into sperm. The sperm starts swimming. And now we're in Razzie territory. (laughs) Well, I also, I I think this was the moment too, where the sperm turn into the galaxy, and I just thought to myself, <laughs> we've entered a Terrence Malick film. <laughs> we have. Because how bizarre is this sequence of shots in this predominantly black and white film? She is pregnant, if you couldn't have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> she tells Cass and Eddie the good news, and they're excited. They are. She goes to visit her mother. And her mother, it, there is this element where she's worried that whatever is going on with her mother, her, the, the blood, the essence, that she might herself be crazy or become crazy one day and that she might give that to her child. Yes. And so all of a sudden, this film turns into a horror film. She's walking outside of her house. Not a hair out of place. She looks phenomenal. She's in this black outfit. She gets picked up in a car and we're driving. And all of a sudden she sees a stop sign and she realizes because of the power of this magical stop sign Mm -hmm. that she does not want to have this abortion anymore. She starts screaming and, and clawing and fighting. But the driver, since we're in a horror film, just keeps going, doesn't listen to her. They take her and give her a forced abortion. They show this a forced abortion scene in the most peculiar way. The director, Andrew Dominic, is a sadist or (laughs) something because he really must get off on human agony because there's a POV shot (laughs) of Marilyn's like internal vagina (laughs) as they put in the whatever objects to extract the fetus. This turned into saw. It really did. It was really uncomfortable watching this and I thought what an invasion if this was written by a female we wouldn't have this grotesquely graphic imagery so now we're at dinner with Joe DiMaggio (laughs) 
and, <laughs> and just cut. We just cut. Because who cares? Yeah. Who, who cares about Marilyn's emotional state after this? No. Who cares? I don't. <laughs> well, Joe clearly Di- Andrew Dominic doesn't either. <laughs> Joe DiMaggio is played by Bobby Cannavale. This man wears a suit. Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn are at dinner, and he is smoking a cigarette and drinking. What do you think he's drinking? Was that gin, rum? What was? I don't know. He looked good drinking it. You did. And she's telling him what I think we all do on first dates. She's telling him this idolized version of what she wishes she wanted. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really want to be in the spotlight. She wants to be a real actress. She wants to do plays. She doesn't like the spotlight and it, she wants a quieter life. Yeah, and I think she I don't think she's purposely trying to lie, but I think there's a part of her that believes this. Yeah. You know what we all and kind of wants it. So like I I I don't think she's trying to lie, but I don't obviously none of this is what ends up happening with her. And we can't deny the fact that Marilyn likes the spotlight mm-hmm. because she didn't get attention as a child and growing up. So when people pay attention to her, there is a switch that turns on when she's in front of cameras and you see it. That she's able to turn on on a dime. And Mm -hmm. this is something that Joe DiMaggio does not like because that is not the Marilyn Mm -hmm. that he signed up for. Joe and Marilyn had been married before. So they were not able to have a proper wedding. They had to go to the courthouse. That's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like any church would be like, sweet, here's the deposit. Yes, this. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wearing white sounds good. <laughs> no one will chuckle. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> you want to jump over a broom? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll bring it in. <laughs> dead. It's like, <laughs> you know, oh dear. So they are living their life. And you see, the, the one thing that, happens when you're in a throuple relationship, Juliet, is that when you break up... Are you speaking from experience? I'm speaking from from experience. When you break up, especially in a throuple relationship where the makeup is two men and one woman, and the woman breaks up with the two men, you've got now not one, but two crazy exes, (laughs) and they're partners... And you see, we haven't seen them in a while, have right. we? No. No, but Cass and Eddie, they're not too happy with their previous partner. And while we see some lovely scenes of Joe and Marilyn, although Joe just, he just wants to watch TV and smoke and chain smoke and watch sports. And she wants to talk about poetry. And he just, the way they did the show it in this film was he wants her to be... A his doll. A, yeah, he wants Not her to be living, his Italian breathing. wife, stay-at-home wife who just yeah. cooks, cleans, laundry. Yeah, but he didn't. At work. his beck and call. He had that the first time, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe is at dinner, and we don't see who he's with yet, but he's looking at some photos. And the photos that he's looking at are Marilyn Monroe, and she's in very, very again, very modest, like little mm-hmm. uh the panties, like very modest, like little bloomers. They're not like, they're, they're bloomers. But her, her it's boobies. PG. Are, yeah, her boobies are showing and mm-hmm. she's posing. But of course, these are photos that he, uh, the whole world has seen. Right. They've you know, been published already. They've been, yeah, she's been this. It's like someone saying, um, 
It's like he's looking at photos that are common knowledge. And of course, the camera pans and it's our Cass and Eddie and they're sitting there and they're trying to blackmail Joe. My whole thing with this scene, though, that didn't make sense was the photos that they chose. Because I think it would be more interesting if they showed photos of maybe scenes in their life that are secret. Like if there was a shot from the window and it's showing them arguing or maybe it's showing them in risque positions. Yeah. Just something that's more blackmail worthy, not photos that have already been seen by the public that Joe most likely has already seen. And I think Joe is probably just upset that these photos just exist in people's hands. It it would make, like you said, make make more sense if they have actually incriminating photos, such as photos of the three of them together or photos like you just mentioned. That's a brilliant, they could be like, hey, we have these photos of when we were together with Marilyn. You want these to hit the press? We don't think so. The film is already NC-17, isn't it? It is. So I don't understand why. I mean, that was given to it after. True. It it wasn't, they didn't make the film with the intent of it being NC-17. So Joe goes home. He's driving home. He's pissed. He goes up the stairs. He finds her. She's sitting in the bed. And he just backhands her. She falls onto the floor. It's really hard to watch. This is where it's... Unfortunately, in real life, Joe was not a perfect man. And there is a famous story where Joe suspected Marilyn of cheating on him. She probably was, and it was probably with her voice coach. And Joe went over to Frank Sinatra's house. Joe and Frank, of course, maybe a little mobbed up. And the idea was they were going to go over to Marilyn's house to confront her about this. They were separated by this point, or she was already scared of him, I think, at this point, because... He had a temper. He had a temper. And in the car, years later, Frank Sinatra even admitted that he got scared, Mm -hmm. because Joe was so angry. They believe Marilyn is at the voice coach's apartment. And they get to the apartment... And Joe knocks the door down and Frank and Joe, no joke, enter the apartment, bang into the bedroom, and I believe a 65-year-old woman in bed pees herself from fear. (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't lie. (laughs) No. Now, look, we can, I I have not looked this story up in a while, but we can fact check me, but the police kept this out of the papers. Frank did have to pay this woman some money. They went to the wrong door. Uh, unfortunately, this was not the perfect relationship. Right. That, you know, later on, he had flowers left at her grave three times a week. He cared about her deeply. These were complicated people. My problem with this film is that I kind of feel like they just, no matter what, you shouldn't be getting hit. That's No, but we... They're complicated people. Yeah, but he does just look like a wife beater in this. We don't really get into much because now the film is in Razzie territory. We just kind of cut, and now she's in New York. This is a cutting. From here to the end of the film, it is a cutting rampage. Yes. So Marilyn starts getting letters from her father, and she's reading these letters, and we're going to learn something very devastating at the end of this. But for right now, we believe that she's making contact and corresponding with her father. Did mm-hmm. you ever have any doubt that she wasn't? There was a part of me that thought maybe this is just in her head. Okay. Do these letters even exist? Okay. Because we all know that she 
had daddy issues. Mm -hmm. There was this obsession with finding him or connecting with him. And it was very clear that he did not want to associate. Mm -hmm. I do want to make it clear that the actors, the costume designers, the lighting, the sets, everything, everything is amazing. And I truly thought... Uh, the beginning of this film, the first 20 to 25 minutes when she's young Norma Jean, I, I was blown away. I was emotional. I, you know. Master, masterpiece filmmaking. Yes. The problem is this is going into Razzie territory because we're talking about real complicated people here. And instead, we're just getting snippets and we're not exploring anything. Correct. And again, like we mentioned, I'm not trying to justify Joe DiMaggio's behavior in any way. I just would have liked a more complete picture because he really just goes up and slaps her, knocks her off the bed with the back of his hand. And then we cut. She's now reading for her third husband, Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. And we're in New York. It's boring. Adrian Brody's an amazing actor. It's just kind he of... Did, he did a great job, but, too. Like, but you want to point out anything? I mean, I just... She's just kind of hanging out with him. They get pregnant, but then she gets a... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a... It's this thing where it's clear that Marilyn wanted to be a mother. And she gets pregnant, has an abortion. So that's, that's another thing, though. It's clear she wants to be a mother. But the first time she was pregnant, and in a very... Uh, from what they showed, a positive relationship, granted, and not a traditional relationship. But she was in... You know, and but she didn't want that baby... For some reason. First, because As if uh, having a baby later would be any different because she still has her mother's DNA, right? So, again, written by a man. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why, jo- whatever. So now she's very much wants this baby and all of the old fears that she had about her mother's uh, illness going through the DNA, you know, passing on to the next generation is gone. Why? Why is that gone now? But for some woman that wants to have a baby, she sure finds herself on the table a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she, it's like, does she, does she not? I mean, so she... It's confusing. Doesn't want the baby with the two guys because that that baby might genetically get the crazy that her mother has. I'm not trying to be flippant. This is literally why we're in Razzie territory. I'm not trying no, no, to no. be flippant here. No, absolutely. This is, yeah. And now we're with Arthur Miller and she's pregnant, but does, she trips on the beach and she gets a, she has a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And then that ruins that relationship. Yep. They could never recover. She's also, I, yeah, no, that was probably the same time because she was, she was pregnant after she did, uh, at the tail end of doing Some Like It Hot. And I think that was, you know, 1957, something okay, well, like she, that. That one went away too. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that was when she was married to Arthur Miller. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Okay. So, so it's probably a similar timeline here. Similar timeline. Okay. Well, we're with the Secret Service. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> we're now in a car with the Secret Service and they're delivering her to JFK. What'd you think about this scene? Hmm. Where to begin? I have a feeling we're going to have different views on this scene. (laughs) (laughs) So this scene... We are now not only in Razzie territory, we're at the porn awards. First of all, folks, if you were looking for the scene that might resemble pornography, this could be it. Male's POV, right? Because Marilyn... And you, you can go into really laying out the scene, but I'm just going to say point blank here. She gives a blowjob to JFK yeah. and it is her like hand. <laughs> there, there. Oh, wow. This again, I'm not prudy. No. But it's not every day that you see a president getting a blowjob. 
Do you want to give a little historical facts on there why he's in things. his bed? One, I agree with you. I'm unsure if we needed this scene. But on the other hand, this is the greatest scene of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so any other movie that this I thought this movie when we got to the JFK part, because we've done all of these glamorous reenactments, I thought that this movie was gonna push the agenda that many other books, television, whatever, they push of Marilyn and JFK's time to be time together being so glam. Yeah. I mean, and what I bet you it really was like was this. Absolutely. She's full out on her pill addiction now, as we all know, because of what will happen, she is. And she walks in and there's people all around because he's the president. And the scene that should have happened in this movie is she walks in all glamorous and he turns and they have this dance and he tells her about how tough it is and the Cuban Missile Crisis and how he was all on his shoulders and Jackie doesn't understand. She, she puts her pointer up to his lips. Shh, don't she, <laughs> but instead, she walks in and it's chaos. He's on the phone. And one of the things that really I loved about this scene, and I was surprised the scene was in this movie because I think this scene is so good for what the truth that I think it brings is that we know that JFK, for all of his bravado, for all of his bluster, he had a bad back. His back 24-7 was killing him. He installed the pool at the White House so that he could float and stretch and get some relief because his back was killing him. So we walk in, and this man is laying down. (laughs) He's got the phone on. People are telling him things, and he's telling other people things. On the TV that's playing is this old sci-fi movie where a flying saucer goes and crashes into the Lincoln Memorial. Mm -hmm. Love it. He barks out that he needs a (laughs) blowjob. She kind of falls on his dick. (laughs) And and meanwhile, there's there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, that's probably how it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but see, okay, but this is, see, this is what the film gets right. Yeah. As much as I think the scene just glamorized Andrew Dominic's distaste for women, uh, and <laughs> because clearly she's trying to just get through this moment, yeah. right? Like she has to fantasize to leave this moment in order to get through it. Did he give you an orgasm? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I don't know. JFK who? Um <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I wouldn't want to be his lover. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. What was it like? Mm, It was great. Much to be desired. (laughs) (laughs) The the leader of the free world. A man who saved us all from nuclear holocaust. He can't be good at everything. (laughs) (laughs) He can't. My back is hurting. I'm tired. I got to get on the phone. (laughs) The president does need a blowjob right now, and it's not going to be Jackie, okay? (laughs) So get her in here. Tits coming in. (laughs) It wasn't anything respectful, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Educated, well-rounded woman ready to go. Promising young woman yeah. at the ready. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best scene of the film. That that's what 
that's what we should have gone for this whole film is just this idea of what being a drug addict and being a toy to men really is. But what this scene does right is they show sort of the behind the scenes of the glamour moments, which I wish the film had done for all the other glamour moments. Yeah, if this had been... You know, they have this one little scene when she's with Joe, Joe DiMaggio where she's trying to kind of talk to him about poetry and she's like kind of talking and he's trying to watch baseball on TV and he's smoking because he was a chain smoker and he just wanted to watch TV. I wish that this had been How dispelling the, the myth, yes. dispelling the myth of not the, so glamorous. Yeah, it's not glamorous. If anything, there was not any real affection f- between the two. No, he just passed her off to Bobby and went back to his business. <laughs> Moving on. So <laughs> we're back in L.A. And she gets a phone call from Eddie. As you remember, Eddie is part of the thruple. Yes. And he tells her that Cass has passed away. Oh, yeah. I know. Super sad. <laughs> and he says, but... You know, I really want you to open Cass's package. He sent you a package before he died. She opens the package, and in it is a letter and, like, a stuffed animal that kind of was like a MacGuffin, whatever. It's in there. And then, as if it couldn't get weirder. And again, remember, Cass Chaplin was also a living, breathing human being. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is fair to him. But basically, Cass admits that he forged all those letters that she received from her father, and it's like, fuck you, from beyond the grave? Yeah. And I'm really, like, that's, unless really we dark. have absolute proof that that happened, I do not think that's appropriate to put that on someone who lived and breathed. And we don't, maybe there is proof. Anyway, she goes downhill fast because of this. The pills are everywhere. And it gets really confusing because there's a lot of cutting and there's a lot of spinning and a lot of blurred shots. And you kind of just get the sense of Marilyn does not know the time, the day, where she is in life. And then she dies like a wet fart. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is why this is in Razzie territory. I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> the movie just kind of ends. She dies. <laughs> yeah, it, it ends. I'm sorry. <clears throat> this is, this is, look, we are just reporting. We are reporters right now on the, the idea. Like, this movie started off so, so strong. And then it just kind of became cut scenes, um, being disrespectful to real people. Again, being, being disrespectful in a way to Marilyn, too. I mean, I know we've been touching on other characters. Another people, we didn't even get but, to see she gets checked into a mental institution against her will or not. Maybe again, laws were different back then. Yes. And she calls up Joe and he shows up the next day and is like, bring her to me now. And the nurse is like, oh, only the doctor. And he cuts that nurse off. This is real life. He cuts that nurse off and says, bring her to me now. We're going to have problems. Yeah. And she and they bring her to him, and he takes her back to, I believe he was living in Florida. I, I don't know, the, but he, he takes her to a different place where she has more independence. And, yeah. you know, and, and they became friends again. They did. They reconnected later and, and in the he, 1950s. he was kind of hoping 60s. maybe something more would happen. And, you know. I, I think there was a real belief that maybe they could make things work yeah, again. and he was, uh, I, I believe, I don't think they called it this, but he was going to work on his anger. And When she died, he took over the funeral arrangements yeah. and he did not allow anyone in Hollywood yeah, he was to upset. attend. I don't blame him. Um, I think there, though, uh, there was a thing there. He didn't want, you know, 
some of her friends that actually did care to go. So there's some a little, all right, all right, buddy. but we don't even get into that. No, we don't get we don't anything. Get, and so that was, I think a little unfair and it just kind of ends. And it, like I said, it just, her, it, it, the well, last shot is like, of well, her feet hanging off the, the end of the bed. Yeah. And also there's so much good stuff there that they just steam. This was just by. a shell. This was a shell showing of Marilyn Monroe's life. Mm-hmm. And like any person's life, there are pieces that are movie worthy. I think everyone has a snippet of their life that is worthy of telling the world. Memoir moments. <laughs> Memoir Standing moment. up on that grate, the, the skirt flying up in the air. During the seven-year itch, yes. Love was it. I a little disappointed when I ended up watching the seven-year itch and realized that the skirt flying scene was a mere two seconds? <laughs> yes. Yes, I was. But anyway... I just think there were so many moments in Marilyn's life that we could have broken down. Yeah. And I think it's a shame that this film spent so much time on the well-documented years of Marilyn's life and not the years that the general public maybe doesn't know about. They know that she had a rough childhood, but we've never seen it on screen. We've never seen it play out. I think if you focus more on those moments, I think it would have been more powerful if we had had... If we had witnessed her first marriage, if we had seen her, she married to escape the life that she was living because she was in foster care. So we don't even, we don't even touch into that. And in order to make money while men were away, she started working at a factory for parts. And that's when she was discovered as a model. This photographer came through, he was taking photos of, you know, war effort, women contributing And he spotted her and he was, oh my God, you should be a model. And that's how her whole career took off. And as her career started to take off, she left her first husband. And it's this really sad story where she goes home and she's like, yeah, well, (laughs) I'm kind of a bigger deal now. I need to leave you. And then she ended up changing her name. And I think it'd be really cool to have the film end where she chooses well, she doesn't choose, but they're like, you need to change your name because Norma Jean (laughs) is not marketable. So they give her Marilyn and she chose Monroe because it's her mother's maiden name. So there was a piece of her mother still with her, right? And she, the first time she signed for Marilyn Monroe, she had to ask, how do you spell Marilyn? Mm. And I think that that would be a really cool way to end the film because it's, okay, well, we all know the Marilyn Monroe, Mm -hmm. right? We don't need to tell that story. Mm -hmm. But the Norma Jean becoming Marilyn Monroe, that's Mm -hmm. the story I want to see. I just went off there. Sorry. No. no. <laughs> I think a lot of people did go off, which is why this got so much negative attention. Another thing, in order to get negative attention, people have got to watch you. And I think a lot of people are like, we just love old Hollywood, the flashing bulbs, yeah. the costumes, the old Hollywood sign. A lot of people watch this film, and I think they had the same visceral reactions that we did. I think that's really fair, and I think that's why I got what I got. All right, it's time to put you on the hot seat. I'm making you go first, as I always do. What would you rate this movie? Zero to four stars. This is a really difficult one to rate. I think I'm going to go with one star. Okay. And I give it one star because I think overall the acting was on point. Oh, beautiful. I think she should be proud of what she should be absolutely proud. In any other film adaptation of Marilyn Monroe's life, she would have been nominated for an Oscar like Austin Butler was this year for Elvis. Because I think they she showed up just as well as he showed up. Yeah. I also think the the beginning of the film is 
a masterclass in filmmaking the first 20, 30 minutes. That's how the film should start. Yeah. And that's what should carry you through the early years of Marilyn's life if they were really doing this film justice. That was really beautiful. And I think that, that those 20, 30 minutes are... If you're not going to watch the rest of this film, watch those minutes. So, But then like also the, the stars are knocked off because obviously the story was told from a male's point of view. It's so clear. He doesn't understand women. He doesn't understand their point of view. And the director's chauvinistic view of women really it comes out really here. It does. does not look good. I, the forced abortions, uh, we didn't even get into this, but it starts becoming comical that she, how often she's on that table. I mean, I know I, I wasn't joking around. After they imply that she gets an abortion or is forced to get an abortion for JFK's, and it's just like this, There is like there's an element of this film where it feels like Leatherface is coming at you. No joke. It, it, it's a couple of different films in one. The beginning of the first 20 minutes is an Academy Award winning film. And then it just starts getting weirder and weirder until you get to the end. And you're like, yeah, this is just bizarre. In a way, though, there is an element with how they portray abortions where this kind of feels doesn't not kind of it is a commercial for Christian conservative anti-abortion movie. 100 percent. They didn't explore it at all. It was just an anti-abortion commercial. It was weird. Right? Totally. So bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be really bratty. You know, in The Price is Right, where someone, they'll go, oh, I think that's... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Man, this is tough, because I don't want to agree with you. I don't want this to be one of those things where we're just like, I agree, I agree. We don't agree that often. It is one star, though. It is. It's just one star. And the one star is because there's some really beautiful acting in this. Mm-hmm. And beautiful costumes. Okay, sets. we didn't we didn't talk about it enough. Yeah, but the costumes, hair and makeup, beautiful. That team knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, truly. Granted, they had source material, but they did. that's okay. They, I mean, they spent the money on the wigs because mm-hmm. I want to say first and foremost, you watch my week with Marilyn, mm-hmm. and whatever wig that they got for Michelle Williams pales in comparison to oh. the wig that they gave Anna de Armas because oh. Anna de Armas's wig really looked like Marilyn because Marilyn had a very specific hairline mm-hmm. like kind of a widow's peak she did she did she did she had a little you know peak. she had like very nice thick hair mm-hmm. the wig that Michelle Williams gets in my week with Marilyn does not look like Marilyn's hair <laughs> anyway all this to say they deserve they should have been nominated why were oh, they not no. nominated how did you feel at the end of this when you were done watching it, what did you just do? What was the rest of your day like? It just... God, this was draining. I, I didn't watch it all in one sitting. I, I did stop. I think it was after the first abortion scene. <laughs> <laughs> so at minute 30 for this three-hour film. I was like, whoa. Let's take a little break. <laughs> uh, and then towards the end, I was... When all the cutting happened, I just kind of thought, all right, well, let's just get to the end of this. Yeah. I'm, I'm over this. And then there was this element where I'm kind of just sitting there, and then all of a sudden I'm like, that's a really intense blowjob scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, okay. Glad they spent the time on that. Look, we could have still... We just didn't need that shot. Okay. Look, we don't talk about porns. We're talking yeah. about actual films here that cost millions of dollars. Here's the thing. And yet, here we are. I, I, I equate it point- to eating, right? Yeah. We, we don't need it. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, so I think, okay, okay, here's where the list is right now. For me, it's unnecessary title cards and the keys that are left in the visors of cars and unnecessary tight shots of a woman giving another man a blowjob. 
for Juliet. It's food and coffee cups and unnecessarily tight shots of a woman giving a man a blowjob. We don't need it. We don't need it. Oh, man, this turned into just... If it oh. wasn't for that scene, I don't know if we would have really had much to... I, I Do you think it deserved... First of all, do you think it deserved the NC-17 rating? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because of that scene. But they, they, they portray a thruple, first of all. And that, that was a lot to point out. I liked the idea that they showcased that, look, as long as everyone's of age and consenting, it's none of my goddamn business. But when you exit a relationship that's a thruple, whether or not it's two men or whatever, you've got two people instead of just one that are angry with you or whatever. Yeah, but, but that's, that's the reason for the rating? No, and then she gives the president of the United States a blowjob. Were you not there for that? <laughs> No, I, no here, like here's my my whole thing is I felt like NC seventeen rating has to do with nudity, and there's been plenty of films and TV shows that have full frontal for males, mm-hmm. and they don't get this rating. And so for me, I just thought this film didn't read as a porno like they were advertising it was. I thought I was going to go into this and think, oh my God, this is Outlander 2.0. And I don't know if you've seen Outlander, the TV show, but <laughs> you, season... You love Outlander. <laughs> I, I love Outlander. But, so my whole thing was, I just thought it was a way to bash the film. I don't blame them for doing it though. I don't know. Uh, but, but it almost made it look like people were like, Anna de Armas did this porno film. And I'm like, she really didn't, though. There were two scenes, the thruple and the JFK blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought that felt pretty tame. I don't think, look, it's, it's worth exploring the fact that the rating board has rules that you can't really pin down. And some films get higher ratings when it's not fair. And then other films are like, huh? I just think I that this... Know. I just, I don't agree with the NC-17. I, I don't think it, 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 the rating isn't why this film got. No, but got. people may, they had preconceived notions then of the film and what it was. Sure. And I, they associate it with Marilyn, it, right? Exactly. Well, in the beginning, my biggest thing was, this is so good. Is it, did so many people, are, are so many people bashing this film because we're going to see boobies later or maybe even more nudity? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case. This film was being bashed because of the content. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, we have been through it today. I, I'm kind of sweating. <laughs> I'm hot. I'm sweaty. <laughs> We've been through it. Oh, I want you to end this. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode from the Plaza Hotel's Powder Room. I always love reviewing movies with you. Do you? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> she says that, dear listeners, with the slyest grin across her face to suggest otherwise. Aw, thank you all for joining us. Have an amazing week, and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.